0: Hello and welcome to In Conversation with the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2023's theme is circular cosmetics. This month's topic is retail, and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. The 1980s, a decade that began with a recession, which triggered an oil crisis and was at the height of the Cold War tension between Russia and the West, was also the decade in which the consolidation of modern environmental awareness, sustainability policies, and a new perception of the relationship between industry, society, and land became rooted in corporate strategy. In 2023, the evolutionary understanding of this relationship is the concept of the circular economy, which sees consumer products as having a life cycle in a loop. But is circularity possible in the cosmetics industry, an industry that's currently responsible for 10 billion tonnes of waste a year? How can the sector pivot towards a circular, waste-free, carbon-positive future? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce you to this month's panel. Welcome back to Amajit Sahota, founder of Ecova Intelligence, and Joe Chidley, founder of Re and Beauty Kitchen UK. And a warm welcome to Andrew Almec, CEO at Plastics for Change. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for having us here.
1: Thank you, Siobhan. Great to be here.
0: Amajit, let's start with you. What are the consumer challenges Ecovi Intelligence has been tracking? And where are the opportunities for a circular retail model?
1: Okay, I want to start with the question. First, do consumers really understand what circularity really means? Because you know, in the industry we tend to talk a lot about moving towards a circular economy, but do consumers really get it? That's that's the question which I want to start this discussion with, because circularity can mean many different things it can mean no waste it can mean waste free it can mean waterless products it can mean products which are refillable it can mean recyclable packaging etc so for me the biggest challenge when you talk about circularity is in terms of consumer awareness and consumer education because i don't think consumers really get it and um there is so much confusion in the industry in terms of what sustainability means. And if you move, when you talk about circularity, I don't think consumers have a very good understanding of it, let alone appreciation. So that's the way I'm looking at it. And I think um, it will be very interesting to hear the perspectives of uh, the other panelists here as well.
0: So Joe, consumer awareness, is that the
2: challenge for your brand Beauty Kitchen? I think when we talk about circularity, just to add to the the previous points, it's about breaking it down. And for me, the simplicity of having a resource So the planet is a resource that we all use, and particularly in our industry, we use it to create formulations, we use it to create our packaging, our supply chain, and ultimately the consumer from an efficacy perspective. And and that's really what gets us all out of bed in the morning. But what we are not doing is we're not managing those resources effectively and efficiently enough to ensure that we have, you know, a lasting legacy of resources. And that can be from an ingredient perspective where you're using more regenerative ingredients that support the planet's resources through to things like packaging. And for me, I'm obviously big on reuse so reusing packaging rather than it being single use or even recycled. And I think if we all get better at understanding how to manage our resources, not only does that support the commercials of businesses, but it also supports the challenging backdrop that we live in in the current environment um, as a consumer as well.
0: So managing resources, Andrew, What are the consumer challenges your company, Plastics for Change, are tracking?
3: Well, I just want to also echo some of the points there about the importance of of consumers being curious and understanding a little bit more about what happens to their waste uh, in their local community. So understanding uh, the recycling systems in their local community, what actually happens to the waste, in the West, it's far too common for the waste plastics to actually be exported to emerging economies where they're sorted because the cost of labor is cheaper there. Um, but then on the flip side, it's also uh, understanding the uh, the materials that are used in the products that you are are sourcing and, and some of the life cycle assessments around that. So, for example, um, using recycled plastic instead of fossil fuel-based plastics uh, can have a, a really positive impact on the life cycle analysis. And even if you compare the CO2 emissions with recycled plastic compared to say uh, recycled glass or even recycled aluminum, it can be quite uh, quite advantageous from a holistic view. Now, I think the, the main challenge is that A lot of of companies that are using recycled plastic have no idea even where it's coming from. And one interesting uh, fact is that 58% of the uh, recycled plastic that enters the circular economy globally comes from uh, emerging economies, comes from these informal sector supply chains in emerging economies, whereas you also have 50% of the. Uh, recycled plastic consumed in packaging, being consumed in Europe. So there's this huge flow of material from the global south to uh, to the global north, so to speak, in, in the packaging industry. And often um, people have no idea where their packaging is coming from because the supply chain lacks the transparency. And this is a, something that we've really tried to push and bring into the mainstream is uh, the opportunity to not only have the environmental benefits of using recycled plastic but also have the the social impact when sourcing from uh, the informal waste economies and really leveraging plastic as a as a resource for creating better livelihoods and bringing bringing dignity to some of the poorest people in the world at the base of these informal, waste economies so there's there's a lot to be curious about as a consumer but i don't think there's enough uh deep understanding to to really uh, because it's a complex issue
0: talking consumer curiosity amajit what are the digital challenges ecova intelligence has been tracking and where are the opportunities for a circular retail model
1: uh yeah good question um i i think the first thing is um having an online retailer or having a digital channel where consumers can actually move towards circularity. And um, just to give an example there, in, um, in uh, January 2019, TerraCycle launched the Loop platform and their idea was to revolutionize the way we buy products. And their mission or their aim was really toward, was towards building a circular economy whereby you can buy products and uh, the packaging is still owned by the brands and then at the end of the products being used the packaging is being given back to the shopping platform they give it to the brand owners which clean it and give it and refill it with package with products so they can be reused again now that had a lot of hype and everyone was very excited thinking this is going to be the way forward because it was a remake of the milkman model but unfortunately consumers were not really ready for it Um, what happened was over a period of a few years they launched the online platform in the usa in canada in uk in france in japan various countries and they realized consumers were not really willing to pay the premium for the packaging which was refillable and reusable so for me you know i think circularity i think it's a great concept but i think maybe consumers are not educated enough maybe they're not aware enough enough of the benefits of it and uh, this example of the loop platform just showed you know when you've got a great concept you can move towards circularity but consumers sometimes they don't fully understand it and one of the reasons which we see that it didn't really succeed was the adoption rates. Um, the adoption rates were fairly low. And another example I want to give is this um, Berlin retailer called Era Zero Waste. And their mission, again, is to sell products which have zero waste. And they focus on organic foods which are delivered to consumer households which don't have any packaging. And they also had a refillable model for personal care products and cosmetics. And also after about a year, year and a half, they decided to get rid of the cosmetics and personal care products because consumers were just not ready for it. They were willing to buy food products without packaging, but personal care products with refillable packaging where they had to return them. It just became so difficult for them. So again, I think um, I think consumers are probably not ready for this platform just yet uh, online. And what Loop platform, sorry, what the Loop uh, uh, business model has now moved towards is moving towards retailers like Tesco, Carrefour in France, a Giant in USA, where they're working directly with them and consumers can buy the products within the stores and then return the packaging there. So what they've done is they've changed the business model away from digital back to physical retailers.
0: So what are the digital challenges for your brand, Beauty Kitchen, Joe?
2: Well, if I can just add to The Loop, because we were involved with The Loop platform, so Beauty Kitchen was on the digital platform. And, you know, the fact with consumers is you have to be where they shop. And although people do shop online, They don't necessarily change from shopping online in Tesco, for instance, to shopping online with another online retailer. And I think that's been key to, you know, the evolution of the reuse model here for Loop and a variety of other organisations is understanding where do people shop and what we have to be really mindful of is that When you are shopping, you want it to be convenient, you want it to be accessible, you want it to be value for money. And it has to fit in with your busy lifestyle. And that doesn't matter which region you're in, whether you're in Indonesia, in Canada, or here in the UK. You know, shoppers want all of those things. If you can bring all of that together and still create a reuse model, particularly for packaging, then that is key to, you know, unlocking the circularity of personal care and beauty. And, you know, if you look at, there's several different reports that are out there, but the the big one is the World Economic Forum. We've obviously got Davos happening again in January. And when you look at the World Economic Forum on the future of reusables, Yes, it talks about all of the different categories that people buy from, whether that's food and beverages through to personal care through to home care. And home care and personal care is the easiest way for customers to get over the barriers of reusing packaging or returning packaging and i think that there is a strong movement not just from market conditions but i think large global brands and global retailers are much more engaged with reuse and that's for a variety of reasons one they want to get ahead of the curve from a consumer perspective and not lose market share two that the commercials are starting to be better and more in line with single-use. So if you're leasing a piece of packaging, that piece of packaging can almost be so close to the price of a single-use piece of packaging. And that's where you know the big opportunity can be here with Circularity, and particularly when we think of personal care and beauty, because we love a marketing story. And that's where Beauty Kitchen has used its reusable packaging format to its advantage because every piece of packaging has a story to tell. And if I then take, because Beauty Kitchen is an indie brand, we're a small brand that's available here, you know, in the UK and a couple of other countries, but we are tiny in comparison to a Unilever or a L'Oreal, for instance. But if we take the reuse model to somewhere like a L'Oreal, who have ambassadors what a great marketing story that potentially one of the l'oreal ambassadors has used your piece of packaging before and this is where the difference for the milkman model comes into play because the milkman model wasn't digitally tracked you didn't have the power of um, technology that we have today And that's where it's really exciting for the circular economy and from a resource management perspective, because we have the opportunity to track the assets and packaging can become part of that asset. And I think that's where the opportunity lies, not just for consumers, but for with businesses and throughout the supply chain within our brilliant, innovative industry.
0: Talking resource management, Andrew, what are the digital challenges for Plastics for Change?
3: So the digital challenge for Plastics for Change is uh, connecting the waste collectors at the base of uh, these supply chains in emerging economies with global brands and manufacturers to provide a consistent supply of high quality recycled plastic that they can actually use in their manufacturing to replace their dependency on fossil fuels so digitizing this completely informal sector uh, takes a lot of behavior change a lot of uh, work connecting all of the uh where we, where we work in india there's four million people at the base of the supply chain um so it's a lot of uh a supply chain management uh working with the stakeholders and being also able to digitize our quality assurance and quality control process so that the brands have assurance that the consistency of the quality is there and that it's coming from responsible supply chains where, uh, there's compliance standards and we're able to also bring in third party certification partners with the world fair trade organization and also the ocean bound plastic, third party verification scheme to show that, uh, the plastic is being sourced effectively. And that it's consistent quality, and really making a breaking down all the barriers that brands have to achieving their recycling goals uh, is enabled through through technology. But I think one of the other biggest challenges facing circularity is um, whether it's investment in uh, business models like Loop or investment in recycling infrastructure or recycling startups like Plastics for Change. There's not enough investment going into the space. I was reading an article that on average, uh, the new fossil fuel production is getting around $40 billion of new investment every year, if you track it back over the last few years. As recycling startups or innovators like uh, reuse models, are getting a tiny little itty bitty fraction of that. So as a result, we're not keeping up with the pace at which the plastic waste problem is growing. And we saw that recycling rates actually went down from 9% to uh, 8.8% and hopefully they're back up again uh, this year. But um, fundamentally the recycling sector and reuse models are just so premature when you compare it to the mature fossil fuel industry which has had 30 or 40 years of billions of dollars of investment going into setting up these infrastructures. So I think a big turning point in the future is um, as, 175 nation states have agreed to create a plastics treaty. Uh, A a big part of that is looking at capping the production of the new fossil fuel-based stuff, which has an enormous CO2 emission, taking petroleum-based raw material from the Earth's crust, putting it through a big apparatus where most of it's consumed as energy, and then you yield a little bit of plastic. Um, That's that's fundamentally needs to, be lowered. And if we can do that, then the economics of recycling become much more advantageous. And even the economics of reuse models, uh, when you compare it to um, the alternative, the biggest competitive of reuse model, single use plastic. And if we're, if we're putting some legally binding international framework in place, uh, that will also really help accelerate the investment that goes into this ecosystem
0: talking ecosystems, Amajit, what are the environmental challenges Ecova Intelligence have been tracking? And what are the opportunities for a circular retail model?
1: I, I think a systems change is necessary. I think um, if we're really going to move towards um, circularity or move towards a circular economy, I think brands, retailers, as well as consumers, we need to start thinking differently about the products that we buy. And I think um, this is something which uh, uh, which uh, uh, Joe spoke about just briefly. Looking at waste as a resource, um, we, we're, we're we're too much into a system whereby we're buying products and we're just throwing stuff away that we either don't need, we buy too much, or when the end of the product reaches the end of its life cycle, we put the packaging in a bin which goes into a landfill. Then it goes towards other Uh, you know, other waste streams. So I think we need to have a systems change where we're looking at waste as a resource. So packaging should be refillable or it should be recyclable or it should be repurposed. We need to start thinking of designing products which can actually have um, resources or nutrients which can be infinitely used. And um, one great example of that is the cradle-to-cradle design approach by Professor Brongart and um, Professor Donoghue. And what they said uh, about 20 years ago was saying that, look, the whole system of uh, building products and throwing things away is broken. This linear system needs to change. We need to move towards a system where we're looking at waste as a resource. So I think the way forward is really a systems change. We need to change the way that we're designing products, the way we're making them, the way we're using them, then lastly, the way we're disposing of them. Only then will we move towards true circularity.
0: So Beauty Kitchen, the premise is system change, Joe, but what are your environmental challenges
2: now? So we have been one of the first um, beauty businesses to have our products cradle to cradle certified and i'm very proud to say that uh, bill mcdonough has been a mentor of our business for quite a few years now in understanding you know the way that we manage our resources and for beauty kitchen what we want to do is we want to just shine a light on the way that other uh, businesses within our industry can do things. And that's why we are very transparent and open. Um, you know, I sit on a variety of different working groups and committees to be able to share our learnings rather than necessarily using that for competitive advantage. And I think that is also a different way of doing business. When you think of circularity as a whole, in terms of you have to think differently in the way that you approach your business model. Because, you know, as cradle to cradle principles talk about, they talk about designing your products with circularity in mind. But even your business, the way that you run your business, should also be circular. And part of that circularity is about being open source. You know, it's learning from your own mistakes within a business, but also learning from the opportunities that you have, you know, been successful with. And and some of the interesting things that I know Andrew was talking about, or, or I'd like to Echo is in terms of these demand signals so not just from an investment perspective but having demand signals not just from brands and retailers but from policy makers from the variety of different stakeholders and that also includes consumers in terms of them saying you know we want to have more reuse we want to have more recycling. And that's where, you know, there's been the recent EU report that has come out with regards to putting an end to wasteful packaging and boosting reuse and recycling as part of the European Green Deal. And I think any of these types of of policies that come out we are based here in Scotland. We have a minister for the circular economy, which is very unique. I think those types of demand signals then give the reassurance to businesses that something is changing, and that we will all shoulder, you know, the the responsibility both commercially and as part of our resource management to change the world that we live in, because we need to do that. You know, at the end of the day. We can't live in a world that is single use. It is creating waste. But the challenge that we have is that waste creates profit. And how do we unlock that? How do we untie ourselves from that addiction, basically to plastic? And I I suppose that sweeps me nice to to Andrew uh, answering next, because he's the plastics expert. So
0: if waste is profit, Andrew, what are the environmental challenges for Plastics for Change?
3: Well, I think it's a, a, a great irony that one of the biggest challenges of our time is uh, resource scarcity. And, and that, of course, leads to inflation when there's less resources that it causes all these things. So the transition to the circular model that's addressing the, the grand challenge of resource scarcity uh, it's also great for the economy, in the long run, because it you know we'll either run out of raw materials, such as fossil fuels and other things, we'll destroy the environment, or both. Um, so we really need to transition, make this transition as soon as possible. But the the main catalyst from the, the macroeconomic scale is that the, the plastics industry is so heavily subsidized. I think it's a five trillion dollars a year. And, and if you add up all the subsidies across the fossil fuel uh, industry, which is absurd, uh, we're, and then you also have the emergence now of legislation in the UK and Italy and Spain, which that's putting a price on the use of fossil fuel-based plastic. So I think it's if it's over, if if you're not using at least thirty percent post-consumer recycled plastic in different categories, you pay a 200 to 300 uh, euro per ton fine um but that's not enough because today we're seeing that the food grade arpet as a commodity is already selling for almost a thousand euros more per ton than virgin plastic because the virgin plastic is just so cheap and it's so much less complicated to um to source and to to uh, produce than all the complexities involved in um creating recycled plastic. the analogy is that it's like, it's like unscrambling an egg. It comes out of the pipeline and, uh, the production of virgin plastic is all there. And then it gets all scrambled and mixed across the countryside. And this, the role of the waste collectors and everyone in the supply chain to bring the whole, all the pieces together and unscramble, unscramble that egg to get it back into reuse. So it costs more fundamentally, it costs more to have uh, recycled plastic supply chains than the current uh, virgin plastic supply chain so the legislation really needs to uh, catch up and bring some cost parity between uh, virgin plastic and recycled plastic and to then fuel the investment into the recycling uh, infrastructure and systems which will also boost uh, reuse models because they won't have to compete with the cheap 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 uh, virgin plastic packaging
0: so if systems change is what is needed Armaged- Who should be regulating it and where are the opportunities for the circular retail model? Yeah, I
1: I think that's a really good question. How can we move towards um, that system? I I think the government has a very important role to play and I think the EU, um, I would say personally, I think they're leading here with their Green Deal that they announced a few years ago. And in March 2020, then they introduced their circular economy action plan whereby they want to encourage um, the producers to make products which are more sustainable which are climate neutral waste free etc now what this means for the cosmetics industry is that the eu is encouraging uh, the industry to design products which have a lower environmental impact which have biodegradable Um, ingredients which have a low impact on the environment in terms of plastics in terms of materials etc now uh, not a lot of this has been um, actually put into fruition just yet but the eu is really moving the industry in that direction and i think it would be very good to see other regions especially north america and especially asia and also here in the uk if we can see the government take a lead whereby they're encouraging brands, they're encouraging the industry to move towards green raw materials or designing products for circularity and also changing consumer behaviour, whether it's in terms of encouragement or in terms of uh, penalties, whereby they're going to be moving towards waste-free systems. So I think um, the way forward is to look at what the EU is doing in terms of the Green Deal, but also the circular economy action plan Uh, whereby they're setting targets and they're encouraging the industry to to move towards circularity.
0: So for your brand Beauty Kitchen, Joe, what are the regulatory
2: challenges for your circular retail model? So the good news is that we're ahead of the curve. (laughs) The bad news is it's not a level playing field. So when I think of the costs involved in what we have to do for a reusable packaging platform, of which Beauty Kitchen is one of the, the customers of that, a reuse model, we don't get any, you know, subsidies or benefits, you know, from legislation. And at the end of the day, it is cheaper for brands to have their, you know, personal care and beauty products in single use packaging you know so i think that that's what's great about the eu green deal and anything any lead that we take within the uk because having a bit of a level playing field or actually positive discrimination against more reusable packaging then helps you know our own cost models to be able to bring the the cost down internally for a small indie brand. What it also does is it really helps to support that consumer message because the small indie brands, whether that's Beauty Kitchen or the other ones that that are out there in the UK and across the globe, indie brands generally can innovate and we can demonstrate what is truly possible for much bigger brands. And that's where the sustainability and circularity impact really lies. It doesn't necessarily lie with a small indie brand like Beauty Kitchen, but a reusable p- packaging platform, Re, where we have Unilever, We have Elemis, we have Lush, we have Marks & Spencers, for example, that are currently using that. Those brands are much bigger and will have a much bigger sustainable impact and drive the change that needs to happen within the industry, not just from a consumer perspective, but from a business perspective. Because at the end of the day, reuse has to be a major pillar and everyone will see that from you know climate scientists to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation that reuse is the way for for consumer products to evolve going forward
0: so what are the regulatory challenges preventing growth for plastics for change Andrew
3: the uh, regulatory challenges Uh wow, there's a lot of work to be done. I think that, um, well, the best solution to waste is always create less waste. So I I think any opportunity to not produce some of the really nonsensical waste, like uh, you know, straw covers and things like uh, things like that should just be eliminated or or be forced immediately to use um, a paper-based or bio-based. Packaging, especially the small format flexible packaging, you can transition that towards um, uh, uh, bioplastics because um, it's very hard to collect and recycle the small format flexible packaging, uh, even with um, economic uh, incentives in place for using recycled plastic. So I think that's like a that's a that's a win from a regulatory perspective. I think that enforcing. Uh, mandatory or minimum PCR contents is another uh, really important one. So in India, uh, the draft legislation is, is also calling for a minimum 25% PCR rates by uh, 2025. I think in Europe, there's already some 400 brands that have uh, made a voluntary commitment to use 25% recycled plastic by 2025, yet uh, very few of them are are going to achieve that goal. And then the regulatory mandate to say you have to use this amount or you have to pay a fee that'll, that'll not be advantageous um, that will also really help boost the investment in recycling systems and the demand to help uh, solve all these uh, supply chain challenges of connecting everybody through the supply chain and getting the material back into the circular economy so those those are like some of the big ones off the top of my head from a regulatory perspective
0: so there are big challenges ahead, Amajit. But what would progress look like in 12 months' time?
1: I think progress would be seeing more products uh, which are designed to be waste-free, um, products which don't have plastic packaging. We're already seeing quite a lot of waterless cosmetics, um, shampoo bars, conditioner bars, even moisturizer bars, which are designed to be waste-free and not having plastic packaging. Um, I think what would be great to see more innovation in this area uh, and not just uh, things like refillable packaging or recyclable materials, I think it'd be really great to see some innovation like we've seen with sustainable deodorants whereby you can get by the deodorant and use the casing multiple times and other innovations like that. I think it would be great to see that whereby we're moving towards a circular economy and it's not just about recyclable packaging or just uh, developing products where you can refill the packaging again and again. I think it'd be great and very exciting to see innovation in the form of waste-free products, um, in terms of new innovations where products can be designed that they can be used and there's no waste. So that's what I would like to see in the future.
0: And for you, Jo, what would progress look
2: like in 12 months' time? Such a big loaded question. Thank you for that. Well, if I if I just look at the industry as a whole, so if I talk about FMCGs, so fast moving consumer goods, the industry creates over 161 million tonnes of plastic packaging every year. And as we know that all of us have said, sadly, most of this isn't recycled. The global packaging industry is worth $1 trillion annually. 99% is single use. And less than one percent of the reusable packaging is smart and trackable if we even just moved five percent to reusable packaging you know the innovation that would come out of that the commercials the jobs the environmental benefits the social benefits it is such a small number but it is such a huge impact so what i would like to see and i've been asked this question a uh, quite a lot recently. If I if I went down the high street in a year's time or two years' time, wouldn't it be great to see people returning packaging and getting their, you know, refilled products out in store or delivered to home? And whether that is, you know, shampoo, conditioner, um, body wash, but also to add to Amerjit's um, point in terms of naked packaging, where Lush really lead the way, You know, lush stores are more naked in terms of no packaging. What a different world we could live in.
0: And for you, Andrew, what would progress look like in 12 months' time? Progress
3: uh, in 12 months' time, I think, is at least at Plastics for Change, is is measured by the number of uh, waste collectors that we connect through our platform uh, with global brands, and then the number of tons of of fossil fuel based plastics that we're able to replace with uh, this fair trade verified recycled plastic I think is the main success. So we're proud to have over 7,500 waste collectors in our supply chain today and we want to double that again in the next uh, 12 months going forward.
0: And with that, I would like to thank my guests Amajit, Joe and Andrew for joining me today and to you for listening.